Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. And it got me thinking about my own relationship with my, my earthly dad. And I was thinking about confidence and everything that I've learned from him and uh, right and wrong, yes and no. All of these like one-liner statements that uh, the person that is raising you, because I know in the room some might not have had a father, right? But there's someone in your life that has led you into the way that you are now. Whether you want to agree with it or not, in those formative years, um, you're being taught things. And oftentimes it's caught, right? So it might not be a moment where you sit down and say, well, I want to give you a lesson right now, son. I want to give you a lesson. And so I, I, I just walked with my father. And I was uh, the, the youngest. You've heard this many times. I was the youngest. And um, I was having to learn my own confidence, my own way. And so I played baseball growing up and all the time. And my dad always says, I wish you would have just stuck to baseball. But then I got into water polo, and I was like the water polo guy in high school. But and then I got into soccer, and then I was a soccer guy for a little bit. But when I was growing up, right down the street was Quad Cities Little League, and we would have practice all the time. I was probably about eight years old. And we had practice, and the coach, I don't even remember his name or even his face, but I remember what he told me one time. He was upset with me for some reason, and he was like, he, he kind of cussed at me. He was upset, and he, I don't remember what exactly he said, but it was, it was bad enough to where it rattled me. And it made me really uncomfortable. And remember, I'm just like seven, eight years old. And so I told my dad as I was going back to practice. I'm like, hey, dad, you know, the coach said this. And he had a Chevy S10. So he was, you know, shifting, talking to me. And it was only about a 10-minute drive to the, the field. And my dad looked at me and he said, Sam, I want you to remember this. You don't ever let another man tell you what to do. You don't ever let another man speak down to you. And he said, but there's a way you do it. You don't have to yell at him. You don't have to cuss at him. You don't have to get to his level. You just calmly say, hey, you're not going to talk to me like that. And I remember looking at him like, yeah, that's right. (laughs) I'm not going to let him talk to me like that. And I'm like thinking in my head, okay. And so he pulls me up to the practice. And I get out of the car. And I kind of felt this level up this confidence as an eight-year-old, and I got out of the truck, my my dad's Chevy S10, and I remember walking towards the practice, leveled up, because I had now gained confidence from my father. I was stepping into my father's business, to his way, and he was teaching me. He was my rabbi, and so from that moment on, I never let another man tell me what to do, or when they would especially use vulgar language, that would be kind of like a trigger for me, where it's like, hey, man, you're not going to talk to me like that. We're not going to do that. I would never raise my voice. I would never get upset. I would never yell back, but I would just kind of say it in a very subtle way. Even though I was the little kid to an older man, I would tell him that sometimes. And it would bother me because I remember my father teaching me that. And so I remember thinking back when I was thinking of this story, man, it's interesting my father's wisdom. He didn't get out of the truck to go tell the coach what's up. He coached me. He showed me what was right and what was wrong. But then he taught me the right thing to do. He didn't do it for me. And so 
I was like, man, leveled up. And I was kind of this confident eight-year-old now. And I wouldn't let another man look down upon me because of my age. And I just remember that was sort of like the groundwork for me started to step into my confidence. It was because my father spoke that over me. Then there was another moment. I was in sixth, I was in sixth grade. So it was very close in time to this. And there was um, a guy. He's, he was a friend now. His name was Angel. I won't say his last name because some of you might know who he is. And when we were at Anaborba and we played soccer in the field, you know, and we were playing. And I was in sixth grade and he was a little bit bigger of a, of a, of a boy, right? He was a big boy. And um, Angel would always kind of taunt me. He would always make fun of me. And I never could quite understand why until I realized the girl he liked liked me. I'm like, oh, okay, that's why this guy's like after me. Like, what am I doing wrong? Is it because I'm better than him at soccer? Like, I'm not that much better. I would think this, these things. And there was a moment where, you know, during recess, it wasn't recess, but your teacher would take you out to, like, play for a little bit. Like, it was like, if you guys are really good, we'll go play kickball. Well, we went to go play kickball, and for some reason, Angel just had it out for me. And um, during this time, wrestling was a big deal. And um, I was, like, waiting in line to kick the ball. And Angel just comes up, and he does, like, an RKO. He, like, grabs my neck, and he just pulls me down on the floor and throws me down. And I'm like, I'm like a little boy, right? I'm not as big as Angel. I'm in sixth grade. And um, I remember getting up. But remember, I got three older brothers, and I know Rocky Balboa, and I'm, I'm Rocky, and he's Ivan Drago. But anyway, I just was kind of rattled, and I'm like, whoa, what happened? And then everyone kind of circles up, you know that, those moments? And Angel's like looking at me, come on, man, what are you going to do? And I froze. I was terrified. I was scared. And um, I went home that day, my dad picked me up, Chevy S10, driving. I said, Dad, man, this happened with Angel, and I don't know what to do. And he looked at me and he said, well, you know what? You, you can tell him. If he wants to box you and fight, we can go down to the knack in Chino. We'll set it up. And if he wants to box you in the ring, he can box you. Oh, and then when he's done, I'll box his dad. <laughs> and I remember as I was sitting there, this little boy in sixth grade, what my dad taught me was to never be afraid of another man. To, to be fearless, even though fear was staring at you at the face. And again, my dad was wise. He didn't go out of his way to make a ruckus, but he taught me something again in that moment. And so then every single time I would step into a space, I had the confidence because I was stepping into my father's business. I was doing his business. He had taught me. He coached me. You see, Jesus does something very similar in the Gospels. He speaks of his father's business. He speaks of how his father is speaking something, and he listens, and he does what the father tells him to do. And it says this in the book of John. Remember, we just learned this woman at the well, and then after the woman at the well, this man that was paralyzed, really, for 38 years, Jesus heals him and then mysteriously goes away. And now he confronts him in the temple, and he says, hey, go and sin no more. Well, there was an issue with that because Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath day. So let's read. John 5, starting at verse 16, says this. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. 
For this reason, they tried all the more to kill Jesus. Not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Interesting. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, I tell you, Jesus says, whoever hears my word, believes in him who sent me, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. So I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. The Son of Suffering. But before he was the Son of Suffering, he was the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, Jesus said, for a time is coming when all who hear in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, Jesus says, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself. Watch this. But him who sent me. I'm here to do my father's business. And see, that's what I want to talk to you about today. Doing the Father's business. You and I, if you claim discipleship to Jesus, are now a son or a daughter. We have a Father, and we must lean in and hear what is it that he's calling us to do? What is it that he's speaking us to do? What is it that he invokes in us? What is he asking us not to do? And what is he asking us to do? And by the way, can we hear from the Father? No. Can we submit under him? Can we submit under his way, under his rule? Or are we going to be like that wayward child that just does whatever he or she wants to do? Jesus teaches us, I only do what my Father tells me to do. I'm in my Father's business. And I'm doing my father's business. You see, John calls Jesus the son of man. The clearest claim is the statement that Jesus is the son of man. That was, by the way, I'm going to break this down to you. This is one of the things that got Jesus killed. He is claiming to be the son of man, which would make him equal with God. You see, it was because in Daniel 7, if you want to read all of it, I can't read it. We don't have enough time. Daniel 7, 7, I'm sorry, Daniel 7, 1 through 14, the, the authorized version mis, 
translates the son of man for son of man. But let me just read one verse in verse 13. This is Daniel. This is a prophetic book in the Old Testament that points us to the Messiah to come, the Jesus to come, the son of man to come. And it says this. In my vision at night, this is Daniel speaking, millennia before Jesus ever walks on earth. I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. This is Daniel speaking of a son of man to come that enters into the presence of God. But he's coming with some authority. He's coming from another space. He's coming from another kingdom as an apostle to bring in a new kingdom. You see, the point of the passage is this. Daniel was written in days of terror and persecution, by the way. So if you were to read and do your biblical due diligence of the time and space that Daniel writes his letter in the Old Testament, there is much terror, there is much persecution, there is much fear that is all around the people of God. And it is a vision of the glory which will someday replace the suffering which the people are undergoing. The seer, which is Daniel, he gets a vision, describes the great pagan empires which had power and dominion. I just want to name a few, and we can talk about the book of Revelation and end times, but I just want to say what the Bible says just for a moment, if you let me go there. There is, chapter 7, verse 4, the lion with eagle's wings, which stands for the Babylonian empire of the time. The bear with the three ribs in his mouth as one devouring the carcass, which stands for the Midian Empire. The leopard with four wings and four heads, which stands for the Persian Empire. And the beast, great and terrible, with iron teeth and with ten horns, which stands for the Macedonian Empire. All these terrible powers will pass away, Daniel is saying. And the power and the dominion will be given to one like the Son of Man, a king who sets everything straight. The meaning is that the empires which have held sway have been so savage and evil that they could be described only in terms of wild animals. A lion and a leper and a bear. You see, in Daniel, the phrase describes the king of power, which is going to rule the world. Because in their time, right, these were the empires that were ruling. And Daniel gives a foreshadow of the Son of Man that would come to destroy all this. And many scholars would argue it's uh, modern-day Russia or it's modern-day Egypt. Or, like, there's a lot of different argument around that. And we can talk about that all day. But what prophecy also shows us is that Daniel's prophesying about what's happening right then and there. And that the Son of Man will come to destroy all empires. He was trying to explain that nothing can come against this Son that would come. Nothing, no one, no dominion, no power. This Son of Man that, that enters into the Ancient of Days, the presence of God, will rule and reign over every terror that all of the other empires and kingdoms would bring. In other words, it's over when that happens. It's game over. But into the world, there is going to come a power so gentle and so kind and so loving and also so victorious that it will be human and not beast. You get that? It's not going to be a beast. 
it's going to be human, son of man. You understand the prophecy that's taking place? This is Daniel, by the way, like at least 1,500 years before Jesus comes on the scene. Prophecy over and over and over again, naming and showing that one day Jesus will come on the scene. They just couldn't see it, which, by the way, the Pharisees knew all about it. A rabbi would have to memorize and understand the first couple of books of the Bible, but also they would know very well when Jesus says the son of man, it was a trigger. Wait, 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 wait. You're saying you're the son of man? This man needs to die because he's a heretic. He's saying he's God? He's saying he's going to come and destroy the empires? He's breaking the Sabbath. Who is this man? Why, who does he think he is? He's an arrogant guy. He's cocky. He's like walking around with this authority. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? And the Jews took this title and gave it to the chosen one of God, who someday would bring the new age of gentleness, love, and peace. And so they came to call the Messiah, watch this, the Son of Man. They called their Messiah that would come one day, the Son of Man. So Jesus knew very well what he was doing when he said this. <laughs> hey, I only do my father's business, and I am the Son of Man, by the way. So between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there arose a whole literature which dealt with the golden age which was to come. One book which was specially influential was the book of Daniel, right? But I want to read you John 5, starting at verse 26 now. It says, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Does it make sense now why the Pharisees would be so incredibly agitated and angered and out, just ready to kill this man? And then verse 28, I want to read. It says, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice come out, and those who have done what is good will rise and live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, Jesus says, I do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who has sent me. As sons and daughters, it's a question for you to ask. Do you do just what the Father tells you to do, or are you doing other things as well? And this is something that I'm constantly having to go to God with. Lord, what is it exactly that you are telling me to do and not to do? Because how many of you know you could be doing a good thing, not a God thing? You could be doing the right thing, but not the one who told you to do it. There's even moments where um, I've, I've sat with Pastor Mike, and he's like, man, I, I usually, sometimes I'll get a prophetic word about someone in the room. Like I could see some crazy stuff over them. And they look like they're in a lot of suffering. He said, when I was younger, I would just go and, and do it and pray and, and speak to them and give them a prophetic word until I realized Jesus would tell me, I didn't tell you to do that. What are you doing? <laughs> this isn't about me anymore. It's about you now. It's, it's selfish. And so Jesus, imagine all of the things he could have done. Free, freely, knowingly, he could have 100% done, but he was only listening to what the Father told him to do and what to say. And I wonder, when you look at your own life, are you even consciously thinking, God, what do you want me to do in this? 
with my family, with my finances, with my future, with the school that I want to go to, with the person that I want to marry, with the things that I want to not do or do, do I actually look to the Father to get a response to walk in the authority that he, because do you know that he gives you a particular grace over things? You could be walking and doing something you're not even graced for. You're just really good at it, but you're not graced for it because the Father didn't even tell you to do it. And so this is like a little bit deeper discipleship, right? Some of you are like, man, I'm just trying to figure out like, <laughs> you know, just the basics. But as you go on a journey with Jesus, you have to understand it doesn't matter what, quote, level you're at. You should be doing whatever God tells you to do. You should be doing, watch this, Father, your will, not my will, be done. Right? And so that's the peace that Jesus shows us. He had all of the power in the world, by the way, to pull every angel down from heaven to relinquish him from the duty of getting on the cross. He had every power to do that, and yet he chose not to because that's not what the Father told him to do. Can that be said of you and me? Are we collectively and consciously going to God, asking, Lord, what is it? What is it? What is it? Show me. Show me. Show me. And again, that's where you should have some voices in your life. That's where you should be praying to the Father and asking him for guidance. That's where you should be looking and seeking and searching and fasting for whatever it is you feel called to do. Make sure the Father is calling you to do it. Because again, what good is it for me or you to gain the whole world and then lose our soul? Which is, by the way, if I can go to this chapter, this Matthew 7, many will come to me in my name saying, in my name, saying, I casted out demons, I prophesied, I baptized, I did all these things, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, you did that in my name, but I never even told you to do it. In fact, I never even knew you. Like, that's like, ah, scary. I need to know my father. This is a relationship we're talking about. Have you ever, you know, heard, oh, it's not a religion, it's a relationship? Well, of course there's religious things that we do. Let's just be honest. Of course. There's sacraments. Of course, doing, taking communion is a religious thing to do. I hate to break it to you. But it goes deeper than that with intimacy with the Father to where, yeah, it, it's beyond religion at that point, of course. It's a relationship that I am walking with the King of glory, that I'm walking with the Ancient of Days, that I'm walking with the very power that rose Jesus from the grave. I'm walking with God. And now, the closer I get, the closer he tells me what to do, and I'm just going to do my Father's business. I'm going to do what he told me to do. I'm going to walk and say what he told me to say. You see, Jesus lays three things down about, if you like to take notes, this is for you, okay? Three things that Jesus lays down about his relationship with God, and then I also want to show which should be your relationship with Jesus. The first is Jesus lays down his identity with God. The truth about Jesus is that in him we see God. If we wish to see how God feels to human beings, if we wish to see how God reacts to sin, if we wish to see how God regards the human situation, then we must look to Jesus. How does Jesus handle it? How does Jesus, what does he say about my mess up and my brokenness? What does he say 
about all of the things that I've done. This is the same. Jesus and the Father are one. So whatever the, the Jesus shows us is what the Father has already spoke to him. So then we begin to understand the Father through Jesus. Because by the way, Jesus and God are one. <laughs> I just want to make that really clear. He's not a prophet. He's not less than. He's equal to. They are all the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the mind of Jesus is the mind of God. You want the mind of God? Read the words of Jesus. You want the mind of, of God? Understand the mind of Jesus. Understand his way and his rule and his dominion and how he presented himself to people that were lower than him. Understand that Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve you. That is God speaking, by the way. We're talking about the creator of the universe lowering himself so much so to be born in a manger with donkeys and horses around him. Yeah, that, by the way, is called humility. Jesus shows us a new way, which, by the way, if you're taking notes, shows us that our identity must be found in God. If Jesus' identity is found in the Father, then our identity must be found in Jesus, as sons and as daughters. So I just want to share this with you. If someone asks you, hey, man, or you're asking yourself this question, because usually when life comes down on you, there's a couple philosophical questions you'll ask yourself. One of the questions you'll ask is, who am I? Right? Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe that hasn't happened to you, but it will. And all hell will break loose and, and you know, the rug will be pulled out underneath you. And the question you'll ask yourself, one of them is, who am I? And if your response isn't, I'm a son or I'm a daughter, then your theology is off. If it's, well, I'm a pastor, God. No, you're not first a pastor, you're a son. Well, I'm a father. No, yeah, but no, you're first a son. So your identity must come from a place of sonship or of a daughter. And this is the way Jesus shows us. So again, if we want to know how to live the way Jesus lived, how did he interact with his father? He considered himself his son. And so then he got under the way of his father. Is this, he was doing his father's business. The second is, Jesus' identity is based not so much on equality, watch this, as on complete obedience. He was obedient to the Father even until death. Can you say that? I mean, I would hate for any of this to happen, but what if Jesus is like, hey, I'm calling you to go to Kenya where the, the radical Muslims are out there, and I want you to go be a missionary to my people because there are people that are hungry and they're hurt and they need to know the way and they're demonized and the devil is just you know, creating havoc and there's these Muslim radicals. I want you to go sell everything that you have and be a missionary to these people. Oh, and by the way, you probably will die. What does radical obedience look like to Jesus at that point? Which I don't know if he's going to call you that. I have no idea. But... When you're listening to the Father long enough, he will begin to speak to you. By the way, it's not about you. It's about the glory of the kingdom that he calls us to. And it could be something as small as, hey, I want you to stop speaking that way to your wife. Stop. I want you to stop watching this thing in the internet at 3 a.m. in the morning. I want you to stop drinking because your drinking isn't just to just have a few, it's to have many. 
I want, these are they're small steps of obedience. Can you be faithful to God in the small things? There's no way he will trust you with more if you can't just be obedient to him now. So, like, all you have to do, honestly, it's like a great little test. What is Jesus telling me to not do? And you'll know. It'll come right to you. Oh, man, I should probably stop that. Can you obey him? We don't like that word obey, right? It's like, ah, submission, ah. No, but it's like, this is the way of Jesus. I don't care what the culture says. I only care what my father tells me to do. And by the way, that's the confidence of Jesus. He could care less what the culture said. He could care less what these religious elites thought. On the Sabbath day, you think I'm not going to heal a man? On the Sabbath day, you're crazy. I do my father's business, so take it up with him. He told me to do it. Can I just give a little side note? I was talking to Kelly, I was like, I don't know, should I tell this story? I wanted to share that. Like, I feel like I've had a, a moment in my life, one moment in my life where I'm like, wow, I actually understand what, where Jesus was feeling in this moment. Because when I was in Bible school, every Thursday, I was 20 years old. Because remember, I graduated high school when I was 19. That's a whole other conversation. I wasn't held back, but I did kindergarten twice, okay? <laughs> so I was 20 years old. I was a sophomore in Bible college. And every Tuesday and Thursday, we had to be in chapel. It was a non-negotiable. You must be in your seat in chapel. If you're not, we're going to mark you off. You have like a couple chances, then you get disciplined, and then it's not good, okay? And I was going and speaking at Chino High School on Thursdays, and sometimes I wasn't speaking. I just wanted to serve. I just wanted to be the guy that handed out pizza while other pastors were there because I just wanted to build a relationship with the students because I felt like God said, can you be faithful with this? I'll give you more. I said, great. They gave me opportunities to speak every once in a while, but I said, I'm going to be here every Thursday to serve the, the high school students at Chino High. And so I was there every Thursday. Every Thursday, I was picking up the chairs, putting them back, handing out the, the pizza, and then every once in a while, they would give me a chance to speak. And then I would preach my, my heart out, right, with my veins and the spit and all that, right? And so I got in trouble. I got pulled in to the RD's office, the residential director. And he said, Sam, you're missing Thursday chapel. I said, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm doing God's work in the kingdom out there. If you keep missing, we're going to kick you out. I said, then kick me out. Because I remember my father's voice, my earthly father, and then my heavenly father. I said, hey, I'm going to do my dad's business. And I remember he was speaking down to me. He was angry at me. Because then I also walked in one time really late, and the curfew was 10 p.m. You're like, what school is this? It was a very strict school. And the culture was very strict. And then I started to notice there were other issues going on with, like, the culture of strictness over, like, uh, an adult that was in their 20s, but that's another conversation. The RD pulls me in again. He says, it is 12 o'clock at night. What are you doing? And I said, can you smell me? I smell like in and out <laughs> I'm working. He's like, well, you need to be here at 10 p.m. I said, well, then you're going to have to talk to my boss because I have to work. This is my job to pay the bills. And I was smart enough to know. I said, well, then, then I won't sleep in the dorms. But I knew there was a financial thing. They made more money that way. But I remember as I walked away thinking, because then after that, word got out that Sammy was the cocky guy on campus. He was cocky. 
was overconfident, he was overzealous. And I remember thinking, but I wasn't that guy anymore. In high school I was, but this time I didn't care what you thought about me. I only cared what my father told me to do. And so if I had to miss school to get kicked out of Bible college because I was preaching the gospel and serving students, I would have done it. And so I think for you, and, and so then I was like, oh, that's how Jesus fell. The Sabbath day, he broke it because he was doing what God told him to do. And, and I'll be honest, there were so many doors that opened up because I just was doing Bible studies with high school students. That's actually what got the attention of the president of the Bible college. He was like, have you ever felt called to junior high mystery? I was like, man, I'm just called to ministry, so give me the junior hires. They're crazy and they're smelly anyway. I'll take them. But you see, like, you have to be, like, faithful in the little. Faithful in the little. And I was doing my father's business. And all of the memories that my dad, my earthly dad had taught me, I wasn't going to let. And I was respectful. I was kind. I shook his hand. But I said, sir, if you want to kick me off campus, kick me off campus. I have to work. I respect you, but I have a job. I want to get married one day. I got to save up for a ring. And I remember he just was kind of like, all right, man, we'll have to figure that out. And I'm like, honestly, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But, like, let's just be honest. Like, we're in Bible school. I'm 20 years old. My parents didn't do this to me. And so my point with all of this is sometimes people will look at you in your zeal with God and will call it cockiness or ego or pride. You need to have people in your life that are speaking into you that can affirm or not affirm that. Because every time those words were spoken to me, I would go to the Father and i say, what am I doing wrong? Is it the way that I walk? Am I walking back with my shoulders? Like, what am I doing? Why are people saying this about me? I only cared about doing what God told me to do. And so when I look at Jesus, here's the second thing that he shows you to do. Watch this. The obedience is not based on submission to power. It is based on love. Jesus' submission to the Father was not based off of power, a power trip. It was based off of love, which, by the way, is how marriage works. It's not based off submission. You're crazy if you think you're going to use that to your, over your wife. No, it's based off love. She, he has to understand that you love them so much that you will rightfully get under whatever they're calling you to do or encouraging you to do. It is a union. It is a family. It's not based off of power. It's based off love. Because remember, the way of Jesus, the end result is not power. The end result is love. So Jesus shows us that his union with the Father was not so much control. It wasn't coercion. It was love. It is based on love. The unity between Jesus and God is a unity of love. We speak of two minds having only a single thought, two hearts, beating as one. In human terms, that is a perfect description of the relationship between Jesus and God. There is such complete identity of mind and will and heart that the Father and Son are one. You see, so then what does this mean for you and I? Well, our identity must come from a posture of receiving love and then giving love. Who are we to have power trips with others? The father didn't even do that to the son. <laughs> Who are we to dictate somebody's life? The father didn't even do that to the son. Jesus willfully said, I know you love me. 
I'm going to do whatever you've called me to do because I know your character and I know your cadence and I know your attitude and I know who you are because you're my, quote, father. And it's to love me. And there's a bigger purpose behind this. Whatever you've called me to do, father, I will do. Not, oh, gosh, I'm so afraid. I, I guess I'll do it. Wrong. That's manipulation. You see, but this passage has something to say, and there's more to it. And this is the exciting part. So I'm going to preach this a little bit because it's really exciting. Jesus stood when he was saying this in complete confidence. He was a tough man. He was not, I've said this, the guy with the sheep. Of course he was. That was his tender side. But he was tough. He could care less what you thought about him. He could care less what you said about him when you walked in a room with him. He could care less that you said, this man's for sinners and prostitutes. And he's like, breaks the Sabbath. He could care less. Because whatever his father told him to do, he would just do it. So he had not a cockiness, he had a confidence. He was leveled up through his relationship with the father. And I, I get that, by the way. I really get that. Because all of my life, when I was younger, my dad had to pour in and I'd get out of the S10, leveled up. I'm like, yeah, man. I'm not going to let another man tell me what to do and speak down to me and cuss at me. Now, I'll get under a boss, but, like, if you're speaking and cussing at me, I'm going to call you out. Don't talk to me like that, man. Hey, I don't talk to you that way, right? And so I was leveled up. And then I got leveled up when my father showed me what it was like to be a fearless man, to not be afraid of anybody. And he would tell me, you know what he told me? He still tells me to this day, Sam, your boss is God, so be careful. I remember I'd call him and I was upset. I, it was hard for me to get under submission when I was a youth pastor. Dad, I'm just so bothered, you know. You know, my pastor's telling me this. My, and he's like, Sam, at the end of the day, your boss is God. So just do it right. I'm like, yeah, you're right, Dad, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's, God's entrusted this pastor of my life. I'm going to... But if it's wrong, yes, but I, okay, submission to the Father. So he's quite sure, watch this, Jesus is quite sure that what people were seeing was only the beginning. When he says, this is the first time in the Gospels, by the way, that he says I'm the Son of Man, that he says I'm one with the Father. So already the spark takes place and the Pharisees are after him. On purely human grounds, the one thing Jesus might reasonably expect was death. After he said this, he knew. I say Son of Man, I'm dead because I'm a heretic. The forces of Jewish orthodoxy were gathering against him and the end was already sure for Jesus. But watch this, Jesus was quite certain the future was in the hands of God and that what God had sent him to do could not be stopped by any human means. He was on mission to do whatever the Father told him to do. So he was completely confident. Are you a confident man or woman? When you walk into a room, are you confident? You can have a mind shift right now in this moment, by the way. I don't care what your father said about you, what your mom said about you, what somebody did to you when you were younger. Yes, you might need some inner healing. We might have to go through some process. But at the end of the day, who cares what they said about you? You should only care now what the father says about you. So if the father says you're good, you're good. If the father says you are saved, you're saved. If the father says you're not abandoned, stop saying you're abandoned. 
That, that's, it's that simple. And I know it's like, yeah, but Sam, you don't understand. I get it, man. We all have stuff we've gone through. But when are we going to stop living in the grave and walk in our authority? That is the entire gospel. Authority, 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 authority. And it comes with, watch this, confidence. So I'm sorry if you're offended by my confidence. I only care what Jesus tells me to do. And I got elders in my life and overseers to tell me, hey, simmer down. Simmer down. But I'm going to do whatever God tells me to do. And I'm going to say whatever God tells me to say. And I have to be submitted to the Father. Not out, not out of fear or coercion, out of love and reverence. And so that's where you have to, get, you have to let your mind click on it. It's a conscious thing, Yes. It's a cognitive thing, yes. It's a neuroscience thing, yes. Recreate the neural pathways in your brain. Go back to the moment. Let me give you the free sauce. Go back to the moment where someone spoke down on you. Let Jesus re-speak his life, his words, his love into whatever trauma that was placed over your life. Whatever word curse was spoken over you. You are no longer that little boy. You are no longer that little girl. You are saved. You are redeemed. You are comforted. And now you have the God of glory within you, the light of the world within you. You are a son and daughter of God Jesus was a man of complete fearlessness that he would misunderstand was certain he would be misunderstood was certain that his words would inflame the minds of his hearers and endanger his own life was beyond argument there was no human situation in which Jesus would lower his claims or lie about the truth he couldn't I'm the son of man I'm the son of suffering it's just who I am. I'm sorry you have a problem with that. I'm sorry I got favor over my life. I'm sorry that this is what God called me to do. Take it up with God then. I'm sorry. I chose to do this. I chose to go the route God told me. I chose to give up my 20s. I chose to lay down all of the lust and all of the pride and all of the ego. I, I, I wanted to be like the guy that had the house on the hill overseeing the ocean with Kelly by my side. I gave that up, man, because I would rather do what the Father told me to do. I don't need the money in the world. I don't need none of that. I just need to know I'm protected, and God's going to take care of me. And so whatever he's called me to, even if it is until death, I will do it, because that's the confidence and the authority that I've leveled up in. And can I say it this way? That's why I'm so grateful to have a Father that spoke that into my life. Because there might be moments where that was said and someone said that about you and your dad was like, well, let me go handle it. And then he punched the man in the face and now your father has taught you evil. But you get an opportunity right now. You get an opportunity to be a man after God's own heart, a father after God's own heart, a woman after God's, a mother after God's own heart. You have that chance now. It starts today. So stop letting the old you dictate you. Did you hear what Jesus said? He said there will be a day when the dead bones rattle in the grave and the voice of a son will say, come out. And the, the carcass, the dead man will arise and walk. That is the God that we serve, by the way. Dead man walking. And so I will not, I refuse. I'm sorry. To let you get in the way of what God has called our church and our community to do. And you should have the same mission over your life. 
I'm going to be a mom, and I'm going to be confident, and the Halloween thing is kind of crazy. I don't care what you say about it or what the movies and stuff. I'm going to stand on my ground because this is what the Father's telling me to do. I don't really like how they say that in politics, in the culture. I don't, sorry, that I know you're offended, but I'm just going to stand in the way that God told me to do it, and I'm going to walk in confidence, not ego, not pride, in confidence to what the Father is telling me to do. And that's the way of Jesus, by the way. It's a redemption of living the truth in reality, not cowering to the culture wars, not cowering to the lies that I'm not, 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 not. No, I am a son. I am a daughter. That is who I am. I am confident and I am fearless. It doesn't mean I'm not afraid because fear is in front of me, but I will walk through it with the authority that Christ has given me. Don't walk in the darkness when Jesus told you not to do it. That's a whole other conversation. Like, that's a whole other conversation. You're like, I'm about to save all these people, and I'm going to, it's like, did Jesus tell you to do it? You, don't, you shouldn't be going into dark spaces that Jesus hasn't told you to go into. Side note, sorry. So for us, worship team, you guys can come on up. For us, the same should be said of our walk with God. To Sam, to Eric, to John, to Rachel, to, to, to Kelly, to Maddie, to Bill, to, pa- to whoever, it doesn't matter. It was in your liturgy, this is what I want people to say about me, in my liturgy. Have you thought about your liturgy? You know what liturgy is? It's your life that they will read. I've had to do it, and it's, 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 it's painful. Do you have the liturgy? You have the, okay, this is their story at the funeral, their story. What will be said in your story? Man, for this man, it was more important to be true to God than to fear what humans thought of him. It was more important for this daughter to walk and to live and to breathe and to raise her children in the ways of God than in any person in the world. It was more important that God was first over the family. Hear me, God should be first over family. Right? Because if God is first, he's the source, and if he's the source, then he'll pour into your family. Does that make sense? Please don't leave me like, pastor said, family's not important. No, no, no. God is the source. You plug into the source, then everything follows suit. You plug into God, your marriage gets redeemed. You plug into God, your children listen after a while, but it's going to take some time. You got to pray. You plug into God, your business gets redeemed because you plugged into the source that God is. So stop plugging into the source of marriage. Stop plugging into the source of your children. Stop drinking the Kool-Aid of the day. And you're wondering why you're running around with your head chopped off. Lies over and over and over again. Until you hear the truth. You tap into the source. You stand in the light. It's painful for a bit because you're exposed. But then he heals you. He heals you. He heals you. He redeems you. He calls you to more. The son of suffering. Which, by the way, if he's the son of suffering, what does that make us? Sons and daughters of suffering. Bring it on, man. Like, it will happen. Who am I when I suffer? 
Do I suffer the way Jesus did or do I suffer the way Judas did? Do I suffer the way my father has showed me to suffer? Because Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubled times, suffering times. But be okay. It's going to be all right. Tap into me. I've overcome the world. God didn't call you to a life of, of all butterflies and rainbows. That's a lie from the American gospel. God called you to live unashamedly for him. And you'll be ridiculed for it. If I can say it like this, the world will say you're weird. The world will say it doesn't make sense. But then after a while, just let the story unfold. When your family is healthy, when your family is redeemed, when all your children love God, when all your children go to God, when all your children worship him and it's no longer you, and you've coached them in the right way, you've parented them in the right way, all of the world can be breaking loose. But when your family and your children and your children's children are healthy, you can say, oh, that's why I did it. Because I didn't care what man thought, I cared what God thought. So be confident in the authority of Christ. Don't be confident in you. Be confident in God. Don't be afraid of what man says of you because you're fearless. Don't be swayed because people are threatened by your confidence in who you are. Watch this. Because you know whose you are. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. And they will come out. And those who have done what is good will rise to live. Those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, Jesus says, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. My judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Thank you, God. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that even now you are leveling me up. You are showing me that I must get under my father's business. That I must, to st I must stand on the legacy to which you've called me to. If I'm your son and you say, I have your inheritance. If I have your inheritance, then that means that I'm going to be all right. You are my king. You are my Lord. You are my father. You are my God. You are my redeemer. You are my confidant. You are the alpha and the omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are the power of the world. You are agape love. Unconditional, everlasting love. You say, and I will listen. You speak, and I will follow. And it's in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. 